So these are um, a selection of readings that support our theme today about radical hospitality. Sounds like such an auspicious aspiration. Um, Two themes that seem to me to support this we find in the wisdom of the world's traditions um, and actually in a lot of what Christina offered in her beliefs that can support this aspiration. One is loosening our attachment to our preferences, our likes and dislikes, and our never-ending judgments. And another is seeing our connection to the whole and therefore maybe more believably to each other. So this, this is from Saraha, a Buddhist born in around the end of the 8th century. We say, this is myself and this is another. Be free of this bond of thinking, which encompasses you about, and then your own self is thereby released. This is interpreted by Eshwaran as, to love completely, it is not enough if I care deeply. I must also be detached from myself. To know what is best for someone, I have to be able to step aside from my own preconceptions and look at life through the eyes of the other rather than my own. Only then can I see clearly the other with detachment and compassion. The mark of love in its truest sense is as simple as it is rare. It is the detachment from personal motives which make us seek happiness when others conform to our desires. Instead, detachment from our ego self and true love go hand in hand. This from Abu Said. He goes on to say, There is no greater trouble for thee than thine own self. For when thou art occupied with thyself, thou remainest away from the holy. Most of us are held hostage in life by our likes and dislikes. We are bound by countless little preferences. The list goes on and on. Our rigid tastes in one area are likely to also be accompanied by rigid tastes elsewhere. When we are bound by our preferences, we are conditioned to be happy only so long as we get everything the way that we like it. Otherwise, which is most of the time, we are unhappy over something, some little thing. The way we respond to small matters reflects the way we respond to larger matters of life. Likes and dislikes go deep. Beneath the surface of the mind lies a propensity for passing judgment on anything and everything that comes to our attention. Tastes, colors, objects, opinions, and especially other people. We could listen to the mind's internal monologue, constant refrain we would hear, I like this, I don't like that. Like him, I don't like her. It's only a habit and a very human one at that, but it means we are constantly judging and dividing. And the goal of the spiritual life in every tradition I am familiar with is to go beyond divisions and judgments to discover that all of us are one. And paradoxically, the more likes and dislikes we have, the smaller the range of things we can actually enjoy. Sai Baba said, if you don't have to do what you like, you are free to like what you do. So it is possible to learn 
to live life without pronouncing judgment about whether we like or dislike what comes to us. And we find that the more we can do this, the more the possibility of joy opens to us more often. Our likes and dislikes are not graven in stone. They're simply habits, conditioned responses built up by repetition and through new conditioning and opening of the mind, we're able to free ourselves. And that is what the spiritual life is about, turning this around. When we dislike somebody, rather than not wanting to work with that person, to be with that person, to talk with that person, or even to see that person, to leave this group or not to show up, this is our great opportunity for expanding our consciousness beyond ourselves and by working with respect toward the other. And there's a very creative element in learning to like people who are difficult. This story I'll close with that Eshwaran quotes from his grandmother who he described as his spiritual teacher. When someone is, sorry, my grandmother had a very pungent phrase for difficult people, a lash in the eye. We all know that experience of how an eyelash in the eye can be so irritating that we just cannot think about anything else. That is exactly how difficult people affect those around them. But for the mystics, this lash in the eye is an opportunity for learning the skills in life that matter most, patience, forgiveness, and freedom from likes and dislikes. When they think of someone who has been a thorn in their side, they will say to themselves, without you, this is what we say, right? How could I have ever learned to be patient? How could I ever have learned to forgive? It is a very poor evaluation of human beings to think that impatience and closed and judgmental reactions and violence are part of human nature necessarily. We have to look to people like Gandhi, who was kind under any provocation, to see what human nature can truly be. His life showed over and over that even a violent person will respond if exposed to someone who, by being unfailingly kind, focuses consistently on the highest in our nature. Well, thank you, Rochelle. What I just heard was so powerful and so condensed into a a true and real statement that I feel like I just need to breathe a little bit and take that in, let it sink in. And um, I, I want to ask for more light up here, please. And um, uh, Steve, we will do that before the um, congregational response. Thank you. Uh, So what made that the readings that Rochelle brought so powerful? I'm not sure other than just the the sense of how true that is and how 
even when we do our best, we realize there are still pieces that we're not remembering would help us do our best better. So now I'm going to pause again, but this is for a different reason. I noticed that somebody has taken page 1 through 7. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, it's messed oh. up this morning. I wondered where all those pages came from. Sorry, Pam. We should do color coordination better. You take white, I take yellow. This is part of our test to see how flexible you are as our <laughs> No, that's, that's good. I would like to have read what you read and claim credit for it. All right. Well, hospitality is a nice word, but radical is a great word for Unitarian Universalists. So radical hospitality. It's, how is it different from good old normal hospitality? Does it mean being really lavish and you're welcome? Well, if so, my Aunt Martha from deep in the heart of Texas would be the perfect example. Well, looky here, a nice new family's coming in today. My goodness, all of you are so welcome here. For the kids, we got activities galore. For the adults, we got we got volleyball on Tuesdays. Uh, Friday, we have fried chicken. Well, my Texan is a little bit rusty, but <laughs> guests that are comfortable with such a vivacious welcome will stick around and talk. But if they feel a little bowled over, they may try to find the back door. And as important as a good welcome is... Radical hospitality is not about an extra portion of exuberance when you greet someone. If it were, there would be many kind and gentle personalities who wouldn't want, who wouldn't be the least bit interested. So all of you introverts out there say, Yahoo! Yahoo. Oh, <laughs> I didn't think you would say anything. <laughs> you surprised me. <laughs> Well, thankfully, radical hospitality is no, ex no respecter of personality types. It's something we can all participate in, even if shy or reserved or just very busy. It asks that we stretch beyond our comfort zone, but it doesn't ask that we step outside our natural proclivities. It asks that we go deeper beyond the small talk of an initial greeting, to be able to remember the guests when we see them again. And it asks that we take some time to learn not only what our guests are hoping to find at People's Church, but also what unique gifts they bring that would enrich our community. I found the history of radical hospitality in a book with that title by Father Daniel Homan, and Lonnie Collins Pratt. A few centuries after Jesus of Nazareth implored his followers to feed the poor and care for the sick, a Christian teacher called Benedict had come to epitomize radical hospitality. He was sainted for his service to the poor and dispossessed. His teaching, what was it called? The rule of... St. Benedict. 
His teaching has endured for over 1,500 years. What might his teaching offer Unitarian Universalists? Pratt and Holman profess that the most basic tenet of radical hospitality is listening, listening with a kind of loving, contemplative presence. Everyone wants to be truly heard. To feel heard is to feel validated and loved and a little bit healed. As a people who think of ourselves as seekers, this sounds familiar. In the monastic image of the world, we are all traveling, looking for a place to rest a while and renew our energy. Sometimes we're guests, sometimes we're hosts. As fellow travelers, we need one another. While we did not bargain for most of what we get in this life, we know that every moment is more precious than we can possibly imagine. So we value the present moment and keep on traveling. While the Benedictine monks probably did offer a cup of tea to those who found refuge with them, radical hospitality was not about sipping tea. It was and is a risky and revolutionary way of living that challenges our natural compulsion to either turn away or pull inward, to avoid connection with people we don't know so well. When we catch ourselves wanting to pull away beyond our comfort zone, we can redirect that energy to look into the eyes of the stranger. And that is like giving our heart a drink of water. Authors Holman and Pratt argue that Americans have been socialized to fear the stranger. And they say that this fear has drained the juices out of hospitality. An example they use is the horror of 9-11, which did not create bigotry against Muslims. It incited and fed existing bigotry and reinforced a sense of difference and separateness. It unquarked a quietly soothing, quietly seething suspicion already alive in the hearts of many a fear that can steal our peace of mind and keep us sealed in our plastic world, relying on a false sense of security. Radical hospitality, however, means taking a risk with the stranger, whether they look like me or not, whether they think like me or not. So I try to learn the names of those who are new to me because I want them to feel that I truly desire to know them. And at the end of each week, I check off on my directory how many new people I got to know that week. Getting about halfway through. I want to connect with fellow travelers who can teach me something through their story their ideas, their way of being. When I venture past my own ideas, I begin to stretch myself, recognizing that welcoming the stranger is essential to the making of heart, to the cultivation of heart. And this 
probably is critical to my spiritual maturation. To genuinely open up to others is to look deeper into ourselves. No longer able to ignore all the unresolved questions, all the still weeping wounds. And who of us don't have some still weeping wounds? We will likely be touched by the other in some way. We may be inspired to change our minds about something. And radical hospitality, in addition to this, includes all the obvious, a smile, a greeting, maybe a handshake. But the radical part is the heart opening, opening to the stranger in your midst, letting yourself feel a touch of playful curiosity, a sense of possibility, what new is going to come of this. And asking yourself also what hidden treasures this person might bring. For example, this teenager has a gleam in her eye and an air of confidence that suggests a daring young leader. What can I learn from her? That young man may have seen some hard times. I wonder what life has taught him. Or there is more to that wrinkled face than meets the eye. I wonder what stories she can tell. Such treasures are easily uncovered as we begin to connect, whether through the exchange of words or expressions or gestures, gestures of kindness. Good hospitality says, you're welcome here. And these are the ways you can get involved. This is nice. Radical hospitality says, you are welcome here. Your ideas, your questions, and the experience you bring. You have gifts to share. There will be important things we can learn from you. You see the difference. Let me tell you about Alex, a young gentleman I met at the airport. I was reading and munching on a few pecans when suddenly the nuts spilled all over the floor. And I do spill things sometimes still, but this was different. These were special because I had dry roasted them, a whole pint. There they were, all scattered over the dirty airport floor. I must have had a momentary freeze, so disappointed to have lost my special snack. And suddenly the young man sitting next to me, who I might not have acknowledged when I sat down, handed me a piece of paper he had quickly folded into a cone for scooping. Would you like to use this? It was enough to snap me back to reality. And together we swept up all the pecans and gave the trash can a nice treat. I probably looked like a damsel in distress, but quickly I felt his desire to connect. We then had a most delightful conversation about the pecan trees in his backyard in El Paso, Texas. I learned about his family and his work in the Navy, and I got to talk about my work, too. I didn't have to explain much about Unitarian Universalism. A few words and he got it. Alex grew up with a Catholic mother who had explored alternative religious paths. 
Alex, too, had done some significant exploring. Fellow seekers, we hardly noticed the call to to board. But before we parted, I invited him to visit the church I was serving. And when Sunday rolled around, he was there with his wife, Melinda. And it wasn't long before they became members. So how was I changed by my encounter with Alex? For one, he reminded me of how wrong we can be in the assumptions we make. Why did I just assume that this young Catholic with a Spanish last name would be unfamiliar with liberal approaches to religion? I was wrong. This encounter also reinforced my faith in the power of basic human kindness and my optimism about the many people who would sojourn with us if they only knew what our faith tradition is about. Just think of all the options we offer as Unitarian Universalists, UU Buddhists among us, UU pagans, seekers exploring liberal Christianity, book groups on current events, inspiring music from diverse cultures and eras, a one-of-a-kind religious education program for children and youth, and so much more. What Unitarian Universalists have to offer is extraordinary. When you think of it in terms of the richness of our heritage, our principles and sources, and our inclusiveness, it strengthens the realization of just how much we do have to offer. And I think there will be more on that topic another time. But radical hospitality is about reaching out, listening, asking questions, and taking in those who want to be fellow travelers. And there are many ways that this congregation already extends radical hospitality beautifully. You know that. You have experienced that. And there are also probably those who have recognized faces here many times, but don't quite know that person yet. Maybe not their name or something special about them. Maybe some here are still a stranger to you, as some here are still a stranger to me. Now, some would say that if you only have a short time with a guest, telling them about all the great things going on here might not be as meaningful to them as your question about what brought them here or what they are looking for in a church home. Such questions open the space for the deep listening that gives them a sense of being heard. We can always grab brochures and let them know about our activities and programs, and they will probably read that information later. It is important. But to get to the heart of radical hospitality, we ask meaningful questions and listen to what they have to say. And some of you are saying, I've listened to that phrase for enough times now that I'm going to stop listening unless you move to something else. Well, let's talk about how much we share, how much they have to share if we have ears to hear and hearts open wide to embrace each one as though they were that long-awaited special guest 
who's finally arrived. Letting ourselves be open to the growth that comes from embracing someone who is different in some ways and yet from the same stardust. Some of you will remember how you felt when you first walked through these doors. Would you raise your hand if you remember anything about that experience when you first came, good, bad, or bland? Most do. The introverts maybe didn't raise their hands. Of course, each person here today entered at one point as a stranger, unless maybe you were a child, brought here as a child. Being open to the stranger means learning what our guests are looking for when they visit. And after the service, trying to find them to ask what their visit was like. Did it meet their expectations? Or were there things here they had hoped to see but didn't? And that's okay. We can't be everything to everyone. We can't do everything that we would like all the time. Radical hospitality might also mean welcoming the theist if you are a humanist and vice versa. It might mean welcoming the Republican seeking a liberal religious home, even if you are the chair of the Democratic caucus and vice versa. Opening one's heart to those who are different is to expose ourselves to the frightful dangers of rejection. It acknowledges the vulnerability, the vulnerability of being human, and is therefore a great opportunity for a heart opening. I've heard former UUA President Bill Sinkford talk about a congregation that believed it was a warm and friendly place but their membership was pretty static. So they brought in a consultant to help them look at some things. And what they learned surprised them. They actually weren't that welcoming of new folks. They were just very friendly with each other. Studies show that most guests decide whether or not they will come back within the first five minutes. So much for the sermon, the wonderful music. (laughs) It's probably the greeters who have the most impact. And not only those wearing the official greeter tag, but all who just happen to be in the right place at the right time, whether intentionally acknowledging the guests with a nod when they find seats in your row, or accidentally bumping into them in the foyer. And the bumping into each other is pretty easy to do when we get full. And you may be close to considering two Sunday services. And I'll just let you know that we're having a consultant here this Saturday who will help the board, the transition team, and committee chairs talk about goals for this interim period and how to consider changes that could help meet your goals. And as you've heard, the board will be bringing information back to the full congregation about that. And in the meantime, you are very well positioned 
for substantial growth because all here who recognize the importance of radical hospitality, as I understand it, are also acting, acting on it. I've seen a great deal of it. A special gem of your way of being here. The initial encounters are the moments of greatest potential. Moments when you can make a big difference in how a guest feels about this community. And sometimes all we have to do is let go of where we were on our way to go to next and just stop and recognize and listen. And if we feel like it, to look deep into the eyes of the stranger all the way to that inherent worth and dignity within. The wonder of the Benedictine hospitality is that wonderful human connection that happens when you get a feeling that you and the stranger are both part of some mysterious interdependent web. We can think of it as looking into the eyes of the stranger and seeing God or the divine within or the inherent worth and dignity of this one person. It is a heart connection that happens simply by our willingness to slow down, be real, and let the connection happen and let ourselves be changed by it.